Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. Today we're beginning a new series for our midweek experiences on the book of James and the book of Jude. We're calling it the brothers. So we're going to start today, and it's going to be a verse-by-verse study of these books. So we're going to take our time. We're not going to skip over verses. We're going to walk through every single verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. So James chapter 1, verse 1. There's something you should understand. When studying the books of the Bible, it is important to know the author, the audience, when it was written, and the occasion for the writing. When studying the books of the Bible, it is important to know the author, the audience, when it was written, and the occasion for the writing. And of course, if you want some of the notes there on the Bible app, you can download it and save it to your device. So when studying the books of the Bible, it is important to know the author, the audience, when it was written, and the occasion for the writing. So that's what we're gonna look at tonight. So this, the epistle of James, the book of James, was written as early as 45 AD or as late as 49 AD, which makes it one of the first books of the New Testament to be written. The epistle of James is one of the first books to be written in the New Testament 10 to 15 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. James is the younger brother of Jesus. James in Greek is a form of the Hebrew name Jacob. So let's go to Matthew chapter 13 and look at this author before we go forward. So Matthew chapter 13. James chapter 1 verse 1 says, James, so before we go to anything else, let's see who James was. Matthew 13. Starting with verse 54. And when he, Jesus, was coming to his own country, he taught them in this synagogue. And so much that when that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas or Jude? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So we know this is talking about Jesus and his ministry. Near the beginning of his ministry, he goes back to Nazareth where he had been brought up and teaches in the synagogue. And the people don't receive from him because it's like, we know you. We saw you grow up. Why should we listen to what you have to say? Isn't your mama named Mary? Does she live down the street? Aren't these all your brothers? So what happened is Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. But Mary and Joseph got married. And after Jesus was born, they had sons, at least four sons, and a number of daughters. That doesn't say how many in Scripture. So Jesus had younger siblings. Imagine growing up in the house where Jesus is your older brother. 
Imagine the standard that Mary and Joseph held the other kids to. Why can't you just be like Jesus? Jesus never did this when he was growing up. Jesus never did that. And you know, James or Jude or somebody called an attitude, well, y'all say he's the son of God. Y'all say he's perfect. Why do you expect him to be him? So the Jesus had little brothers growing up, probably at least one or two years younger than him, if not more. So they are known. So they're not just hidden somewhere. Most likely they're in Nazareth. They can move to other places by now. Go to Mark chapter 3. Let's learn more about his family. Mark 3, starting with verse 21. Back up to verse 20. It says, And the multitude comes together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his, Jesus' friends, heard of it, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is beside himself. He has lost his mind. He is crazy. Now, the word friends here is also translated as kinsmen, family, or his own people. So when you look at other gospels, you see his brothers show up with Mary, and they says, Jesus has lost his mind. He is doing too much. We're showing up to stop him and take him home. Come on, Jesus, come back to Nazareth. It's time for you to stop all this mess. Doesn't sound like they have much faith in him. Go to John chapter 7. Actually, before we do, go to verse 31 of Mark chapter 3. Then there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren without seek for you. So Jesus is in a house. There's so many people there, they can't get in. People are all around the doors and the windows listening to Jesus teach. And so here comes Mary and Jesus' brothers. They can't get inside. And so they said, Hey, tell Jesus to come outside. Tell him to stop what he's doing. It's time for him to come home now. And notice what Jesus responds. Who is my mother or my brother? And he looked round about on them, which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brother. But whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. So what they wanted him to do wasn't the will of God. They thought they knew what was best for Jesus, but Jesus says, You don't know what's best. Because I'm doing the will of the one who sent me. Go to John chapter 7. Let's look, look more about James. John 7 verse 3. John chapter 7. Back up to verse 1 to get some more context. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he walked not in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren, his brothers, James is one of them, therefore said unto him, Depart hence, leave here, go unto Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you do. For there is no man does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do do these things, show yourself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. So what are they saying? Because Jesus came back and said, well, what's been going on? What have you been doing? So Jesus begins to tell them what he's been teaching. He begins to tell them what he's been doing. He begins to tell them about the miracles, the signs, the wonders. You know his disciples are with them, and his brothers don't believe a word of it. They says, well, if you're doing all these things, why are you at home? Why are you hiding out over here? Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to Judea. 
Tell everybody what you're doing. Don't hide it. And so, you know, they're mocking him. They're messing with him. They don't believe in him whatsoever. So it's okay if your family doesn't believe in you. Jesus' family didn't believe in him. Don't let that stop you. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus' brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. Jesus' brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. First Corinthians 15, starting with verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So notice, after Jesus raised from the dead, we know a lot of the resurrection accounts that we see in the Gospels. There is a few accounts Paul lists here that we don't see in the four Gospels. One is appearing to the 500 at once. But another is when Jesus appeared to have a conversation with James. James did not believe in him. But you know he's heartbroken that his brother has just been crucified, has just been killed in the most shameful, humiliated painful way possible. Jesus raised from the dead, and he goes to talk to his little brother. Most likely, he might have just appeared in his room. Hey, how you doing? And what happens? James believes. Go to Acts chapter 1. See, you can set your faith for your whole family to catch up with you in the things of God. Jesus' family came in afterwards. Yeah, it was three annoying years that they wouldn't follow after the things of God. But one, the day came when they all believed, and they all became a part of God's mission. So set your faith the same way. Don't give up on people. You may not be able to hang around them and spend a lot of time with them, but don't count them out. Jesus didn't count James out. And you'll see why he's so important later. Keep praying for your family. Keep believing God for them. Because with God, all things are possible. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. So it lists all the 11 disciples, 11 apostles. It says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. So there's a number of them that you see in the book of Luke, because this is the Luke part two, pretty much, the book of Acts. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. So it lists 120 people. We know 11 of them are the disciples. One's Mary. We know Mary Magdalene's there. All the women who were at the tomb saw Jesus. Then a number of our disciples that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. And a number of them are James and his brothers. So on the day of Pentecost, James is one of the 120 that gets filled with the Holy Ghost and speaks with other tongues. So go to Acts chapter 12, more about the author of the book of James. So we see his conversion. We see him getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. But he didn't just fade into history. Acts chapter 12. 
In Acts chapter 12, you have the first council meeting. Actually, that's chapter 15. We'll get to that in a moment. But Acts chapter 12, Peter is released from prison supernaturally by the angel. He comes to the house. They've been praying for him. They've been praying for him. They're shocked when he shows up. He tells them everything that God did. But notice what he says in verse 17. And he said, go show these things unto who? Unto who? Y'all can talk. And unto who? And to the brethren. So Peter's released from prison. One of the leading apostles. And who does he say go tell these things to first? James. Notice the importance of James in the early church. If Peter says, I'm free, I'm about to go somewhere else, but make sure you tell James and everybody else. Notice how important he is to the early church. Go to chapter 15. So when you get to chapter 15, there's a council. They're having disputing doctrines in the church. So Peter went to Cornelius' house. Him and his family, his friends, got filled with the Holy Ghost and saved. He's the first Gentiles to come into the kingdom of God, the first non-Jewish people to be converted to Christianity. Chapter 11, you hear that testimony. Time goes on. Saul gets saved, becomes Paul, and he goes preaches. And Gentiles begin to turn to the Lord. They're in Antioch. And then there come believers from Jerusalem and begin to teach, well, now that you're saved, you have to keep the law. Telling all the men, now that you're saved, you need to be circumcised. How many of you know if circumcision was required for membership at faith, no men would ever sign up? So they're going and telling all these things. And Paul and Barnabas said, whoa, no, that ain't true. And so they're disputing, this is, this is how we're going to handle it. Let's go down to Jerusalem. Let's meet with all the apostles and elders, and let's come up with some final decision what we should do about this matter. So they go back down to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas preach on the way, talk about how God is bringing Gentiles into the kingdom of God. As they begin to discuss these things, people who were of the Pharisee sect who got saved began to talk about, yes, tell them to keep the law of Moses. Tell them to be circumcised. Tell them to do these things. Then Peter stands up and says, you remember what God did a number of years ago when I preached to Cornelius, how his whole household got saved and God made no difference between us and them and gave, us, gave them the Holy Ghost just like he gave us. Don't put any extra things on them. God knows the hearts. God purified their hearts by faith. So Peter makes a defense. Paul and Barnabas get up and begin to make their case, talking about all the miracle signs and wonders God did among the Gentiles. Then James stands up, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simeon has declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name and to agree with the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who does all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is, wait a minute, the only way you can give a sentence or a decree or a decision is if you're in charge. You can't just stand up in a courtroom or says, here's what we're going to do, everybody. Not unless you're in charge. So James goes from being the unbelieving little brother of Jesus 
to seeing Jesus after the resurrection, to getting filled with the Holy Ghost, to being a person of importance to the early church, to now he's in charge of the church of Jerusalem. He is the pastor and the bishop of the churches of Jerusalem. So he stands up and says, here's what we're going to do, and we're going to write them a letter. James is in charge. Now go to Galatians chapter 1. Let's learn more about the writer of the book of James. He's an important figure to the early church. So we see he's the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. We see how important he is to Peter, to the other apostles, to the other disciples, person known for having wisdom, for knowing the scriptures. Galatians 1.19, Paul telling his story. Talking about when he went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and stay with Peter 15 days. But he says in verse 19, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. So not only is James the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he also stands in the office of an apostle. Go to chapter 2, verse 9. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, or the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision. So notice what Paul calls James, a pillar of the church. We think about Peter and John and the amazing ministries God gave them. They walked with Jesus those three years. We think about John, the apostle of love, Peter, the apostle to the Jews, all the amazing things God did through them. But Paul said they're a pillar just like James. Notice the importance James had to the early church and how much God was doing through him that now he's one of the central figures of Christianity in Jerusalem and one of the leaders. So go to James chapter 1, now that we know who he is. James chapter 1, verse 1, James. We can move to the second word now. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have opened and said, I am James, Jesus' little brother. Y'all better listen to me. I look like him. I know him better than you know him. You say, oh, I got saved. I know him spiritually. Now, I saw him in the house. I know him. But notice how he identifies himself. He calls himself a servant. Greek word doulos, which is slave. Metaphorically, it's one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. One who gives himself up wholly to another's will. He said, I am James. I have given myself up wholly to the will of God and the will of my Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord means supreme in authority. So he says, over my life, what Jesus says goes. I've given my will completely up to him. Whatever he wants me to do, that is what I will so we know who the author is and how he identifies himself. But now look at his audience. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So the audience is the 12 tribes of Israel that have been scattered. Now, these are not just all the Jews who have been scattered. These are believing Jews that have been scattered. Notice if he's writing to the 12 tribes that were scattered. Before they were scattered, they were in 
Jerusalem, right? So that lets you know the tribes aren't lost. Everybody goes, oh, they're lost tribes somewhere. Well, James didn't know they were lost if he's writing to them. So they're writing to these 12 tribes that have been scattered. Now, why were they scattered? Scattered implies that they were forced to disperse. Scattered implies that they were forced to disperse. This is not saying all the 12 tribes that, you know, took another job in another city and moved to other places. How you guys are doing? It says they were scattered. Why were they scattered? Go to Matthew 28. Start with verse 18. Matthew 28. Verse 18, like we said, it's important to know the author and the audience. Because once you know these things, you'll understand the rest of the book. But a lot of times, when it comes to reading the Bible, people just go to their favorite scripture. But how many of you are reading a book outside the Bible, you wouldn't just open to a random page, pick out your favorite sentence, and know everything about the book? You would read all the other chapters so you would have a full understanding. It's the same when they're writing this letter. He didn't write it so you could just take your favorite sentence out of the whole letter and run with it. You have to understand the whole background if you want to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to this author. So Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore as a transfer of that power and authority and teach what? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. All nations means all ethnic groups, all types of people everywhere. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24, start with verse 26. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among where? Y'all can talk. If I'm asking questions, talk. Among where? Beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So how long were they supposed to stay in Jerusalem? Until they got the power. What were they supposed to do after they got the power? Go to all nations. Go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. At any point did Jesus say, stay in Jerusalem where you're comfortable and where you're happy? No. He said they're supposed to go to all nations, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go to Acts chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. This is Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at where? And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, one of those scattered, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. They are scattered. Now how did this door open? Remember, persecution is one of the five tactics of the enemy. There's persecution, there's affliction, there's cares of this world, there's deceitfulness of riches and lust of other things. Mark chapter 4, Satan only has five tactics. Persecution is defined as pressure brought by people. There's different levels to the pressure brought by people. This is a pressure on a high level, extreme level. It is a pressure that is causing people to be killed and thrown into prison. Paul, Saul, he's not Paul yet, was not satisfied and just killing Stephen, who was doing miracles and signs and wonders among the people. He went into house after house, finding Christians, arresting them, throwing them into prison. Said he made havoc of the church, and there was a great persecution, so intense that the people left their homes. So intense, they left their livelihood. So intense, they left everything they know, and they scattered because they're trying to flee for their lives. Now, the reason the door of this persecution was open to the church at Jerusalem is because they were disobedient to the command of Jesus. Jesus did not say, stay in Jerusalem, camp out, have a nice revival, and stay here. He said, go everywhere. Acts chapter 8 is at the max five years after the day of Pentecost. So for five years, they stayed put. You read chapter 2, you see 5,000 get saved. You see 3,000 get saved another time. You see all these people being added to the kingdom of God, but only at Jerusalem. Even the day of Pentecost, when all those people from all around the world were there who got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, a lot of historians, when you read it and you read the book, they didn't go back home. They stayed there. So everybody's in Jerusalem. See, the thing is, you can be in disobedience and God can still be working. Just because you see God working in your life doesn't mean you're doing what you're supposed to do. Because his mercy endures forever. But because they're in this spot, not going where they're supposed to go, a door opens and Satan has his greatest peace. He thinks, I got Saul, let Saul get him to all. 
So Saul goes and persecutes because this door is open. Rest of the apostles are in hiding. All the other disciples begin to scatter, but the will of God is still done. Now they begin to do what Jesus said. So, well, might as well, since we're going places, let's preach in all these places. That's what God told them to do in the first place. So now you know why they were scattered. Now you know what they were doing when they were scattered. Go to chapter 11. Look at some of the results of the scattering. It's important to do what God has called you to do. Because even if you're doing good things, even if you're a nice person, even if you go to church, but if you're not doing what God has called you to do, you are opening the door for the enemy to attack. Because that is still sin. That is still missing the mark. And the wages of sin is death. So if you continually to stay in the place you're not supposed to be, and if you continue not doing what God has called you to do, there will be an open door for the enemy to attack. There are many people who have died early and gone to heaven because they did not do what God told them to do. I know from different people in the ministry, and they're talking about different family members that God had called into the ministry. And suddenly they went at home early because they didn't want to do what God called them to do for whatever reason. God didn't kill them. Satan had an open door. See, the thing is, we say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? There's several reasons why bad things happen to good people. Sometimes good people make bad decisions. Sometimes good people eat bad things. Well, why did that good person get that disease? Because they've been eating bad things. They could be the sweetest person Nicest person, most loving person, give to the church, pray all day. But if they keep eating junk, the junk will manifest in their body, and the junk will take them out, even if they are a good person. Well, we prayed for them. We used our faith. But there's also another law in the Bible called seed time and harvest. And if you're always sowing the wrong things, you will reap a harvest. Now, good people can do a lot of good things, but they can have wrong, nasty thinking. And what do you mean by wrong, nasty thinking? They could always be worried. They could always be anxious. They can always be afraid. And even though they're a good person, those thoughts are eating them alive. They could be good people not doing what God's called them to do, but in the wrong place at the wrong time. How many times we hear stories of good people at the wrong place at the wrong time dying? Doesn't mean anything was bad. Doesn't mean they were some horrible person. They just weren't where they're supposed to be. So you want to make sure you're doing what God has called you to do and not just doing whatever you want to do. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, those are Greek-speaking Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Why? They're doing what God told them to do. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So not only are they going scattered and preaching, 
people are turning to God by the multitudes. So wherever they go, there are now groups and communities of churches. There's several churches now in these scattered areas outside of Jerusalem because the ministry of these people are effective. Remember, Philip went to Samaria and the whole city turned. Tons of people were healed, saved, and filled with the Holy Ghost. So now, go to James chapter 1. And it's important to know that James wrote this letter in Greek. So he's not just writing to Jewish believers who only speak Hebrew. He's addressing the Grecians as well. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, now we can move to verse 2. We understand the author. We understand the audience. We know when it was written. And we now know the occasion of the writing. So notice what he's telling these people we just talked about. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. That word count means to consider. It means to think. Think about your situation as joy. Consider your situation to be joyful. Consider what you're facing to be joyful. Now, what are these people facing? Remember, they've been scattered. They have left their homes that they've known. They've left their livelihoods. Who knows what else they had to leave as they fled for their lives. And now they're reestablishing their life in a foreign city that they may not have known. They're trying to build friendships. They're trying to build a life. They're trying to build houses. They're trying to build livelihoods. Look what they are facing. With persecution fresh in their mindset, maybe not sure if their persecution is about to start again. Because remember, before Saul got converted, he was going up to Samaria because he wanted to expand on the road to Damascus in Syria. He wanted to expand his persecution territory. So there are people persecuting these believers. So you know this is in their mindset. And in various cities across the region and throughout the world, as you see in the New Testament, persecution would break out in different areas. So they're facing all these things. They've been through a lot already. And James begins his letter and says, here's the first thing I want you to do. Consider it joy. Think about it joyfully. Look at your situation and have the perspective of joy when you fall into various or diverse temptations. That word temptation is trial. It's adversity. So just because you go through a rough time doesn't mean you can walk around pouting. Just because something bad happened to you does not mean that you have to be depressed. You have the opportunity to consider it as joy. You have the divine responsibility to look at your situation differently. As we talked about on Sunday, if you renew your mind with the Word of God, you can look at the mess of life and instead of seeing it as something that's going to take you down or keep you back, but look at it as something that will spring you into the future God has for you. So God's not going to make you look at something joyfully. 
He's not going to make you think about something and make you think happy. God is not going to rush in, grab your body, and say, laugh, 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 be happy. No, you have the divine responsibility. It says, you know what? I choose joy. I choose to smile. I choose to laugh. I choose to be happy. Nope, I'm not going to be sad. I'm not going to be depressed. I choose, up, choose to get up another day, and I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy my day. And as you go through the scriptures on all the reasons you have to rejoice, you're choosing joy. Joy is a choice. You can choose to be depressed, or you can choose to rejoice. You can choose to have a pity party. Because what happens when people have a pity party, they love company, so they call people who make them feel better about feeling down. But those are not the people you need to call when you feel down. You need to call those who are going to say, hey, this is another time for God to prove himself faithful. This is another time for God to show up on your behalf. So don't be down. Don't be depressed. Don't have a pity party. Jump up and rejoice. Get on your faith because God is faithful. This is how he begins his letter. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy. Not just one area of your life. All of it. Consider it joy. Why do you consider it joy? That's verse 3. And that's next week. So stand to your feet. So we're going to go through the series verse by verse, walking through what the Bible has to say in the book of James. Then when we finish there, we'll get to the book of Jude so that you have a clear understanding at what is the purpose of the book. Because one of the things I want you to do is take these notes and go through them throughout the week. Begin to look at the book of James in a fresh way. Because what happens as you keep hearing about the book of James and as you read it, you'll get more revelation about it. One of the things I was praying today is that God will show you James in a fresh way like you've never seen it before, that it comes alive to you. One of the things you realize about the book, it's very practical. It talks about how you treat others, how you view things, how you do your life. And I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James. We thank you for giving it to us in our Bible. We trust you for more understanding, more revelation, more knowledge of you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.